Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity again this beautiful Sunday morning to study it together, to discuss it in community. For we know, Lord, that it is through community that you help us to encourage one another, grow in Christ, and uh, understand you and your word. So we ask that you bless that time now. And as always, corrections needed may be done in gentleness and love. And may this just be an enjoyable time of uh, getting to know you and through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Okay, so we're in Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. We began chapter, I believe chapter 25 last week. Um, 19, I believe. Yeah, 1 through 19. And we got through, uh, we officially ended the Toledote of Abraham, the generation of Abraham, uh, with his death and his genealogy. And we saw before Abraham died, he married a woman named Keturah. Um, We're not sure where she came from. It just tells us that he married her and they had many children. Um, And we assume this happened after Sarah died. Uh, We also saw the children of Ishmael. We saw how God fulfilled the promises that he made to Ishmael. And Ishmael had 12 sons that became 12 princes of 12 tribes that settled in Arabia. Um, And through these genealogies, we see, like we said last week, that God has a good memory. He remembers the promises that he made to um, Hagar and Abraham. And even after these people uh, are long gone... He still keeps those promises. And so that's an encouraging and good thing uh, for each one of us. And then these genealogies are important also because we can trace back certain peoples and people's groups that we see uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament back to certain people and where they came from. Um, And that'll become important later on. And that'll be helpful. So now we're going to move on specifically to Isaac's descendants. And if you guys remember that chart I had last week, we had... Abraham, and then through Hagar's descendants, and then Keturah's descendants, and they have all these children listed. And then for Abraham, it's just Isaac, and after Isaac, it's just Jacob and Esau. Um, And so there's this disparity between the genealogies there, showing us that um, God does not rely on the things that we rely on to make his promises come to fruition. Um, Anyways, that was, that was a chart from last week. So now, we're finally at the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac. Um, now, the story of Isaac does not, is not over. All right, We're going to get that con- Isaac continued in the next chapter, and then it'll end in chapter 27. Um, but we are going on to Jacob and Esau now. So let's look at it. Verses 19 and 20. It says, These are the generations of Isaac. Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Okay, so we begin the Toledot of Isaac, although we've seen Isaac many times before this, we see it officially announced here. Um, And it as you're reading it, if you read these together, you can't help but uh, see in verse 19 and verse 12, it says, these are the generations of Ishmael, these are the generations of Isaac, and you can't help but compare the two. And we did that 
a little bit. Uh, Ishmael's genealogy comes first, and they both begin the same way. And Ishmael's has a lot more children, but it's a lot briefer, right? There's no narrative. It's just a list. Um, But in Isaac's, although Abraham only has Isaac, and Isaac only has two sons, through struggle, um, his is an entire narrative, a story that talks about God's continued uh, faithfulness to keep his promise. So, um, one thing we notice, Isaac is 40 years old at this point in the story. Does anybody remember how old he was when Sarah died? Sarah died at 127. So how old is Isaac? Do a little math this morning. How old is Abraham? How old is Abraham? When Sarah died? Okay. How old is Abraham? <laughs> he was 137. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a little, like, that. Abraham was a little too easy. That's why I got went by Sarah. But that's all right. All right. <laughs> um, but yes, good memory. 100 is when Isaac was born. Okay, so if Isaac is 40 here, how old is Abraham? 140. How old was Abraham when he died? Hmm? 100. Okay. <laughs> You weren't here last week, so you, yeah, you didn't hear it. Um, okay, so one, not 190, less than that. Okay, 170, you said six? six? Yeah, 175 is what it says in the text, yeah. Um, so 175 is how old Abraham died. What does that mean for this story here concerning Abraham? If Isaac is 40 now. Good, yes, that's right. So Abraham is, uh, if Isaac is 40, Abraham is 140, he's not dead for another 35 years. So, we talked about this last week, the stories are not told, well at least the, the intent of the author was to complete the stories, the genealogy, not the genealogy, generations of Abraham before he continued on to the generations of Isaac. So even though we had Abraham's uh, death and burial last chapter or in the beginning of this chapter before this happens abraham now is still alive okay so it's not in necessarily chronological order there's an intended purpose as to why the stories are told this way so abraham is alive and well at the beginning of this story and we see rebecca um, isaac was 40 when he took rebecca um, his he was 37 when sarah died and so there's a three-year difference there and uh, it reminds us again who Rebecca was. It reminds us the story of Rebecca and uh, Abraham's servant getting going in chapter 24 to get Rebecca and God's faithfulness, and that Rebecca is not of the Canaanites. So it's very important. Um, so it reminds us where she came came from, and of course it refers to Laban again, the Aramean, and we're going to see Laban pretty soon. All right, good. Let's continue on. So, verse 21, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Okay, we've seen, we've seen this story before, right? The, the wife of the promised line being barren. Um, so, Rebekah is barren, and Isaac prays to the Lord for his wife. Now, this is important because we see that Isaac is continuing on 
the um, faithful tradition that Abraham had of trusting and relying upon the Lord um, for his promises. And so he prays to the Lord. This word for pray, um, it's not just speaking. Um, it's, uh, it's Some other translation said he entreated the Lord. Um, it's using a Zephaniah to refer, refer to offerings being made to the Lord. So it seems to be some sort of ritualistic intercession okay so this is something he's he's doing something along with this is he's taking very seriously his request to the lord um for a child to be given to him and to rebecca and we see the lord responds he granted his prayer and rebecca his wife conceives so rebecca is barren isaac remembers the lord the god of yahweh and he prays to the lord or the Lord God of Abraham, he prays to Yahweh, and the Lord answers him. Verse 22. Oh, well, before I get there, unlike, uh, one thing I want to make note of, unlike Abraham and Sarah's story, this is, so this is a very important theme that we see so far in the story of Abraham and now in Isaac, is that the Lord is the one who's going to provide um, for the promises that he has made to Abraham and to Isaac. It's, it's just made very clear that the promise line is going to continue because the Lord's, of the Lord's faithful provision for it. Yet, unlike Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca's barrenness and God's provision of it in, uh, for it in the midst of her barrenness, is uh, it's not the author's focus in the story, right? The last time we talked about Abraham and Sarah and then them not having child, it had all these consequences, and we had all these stories because of their actions. Um, but here, this is where it ends. This isn't the focus of the story like we're used to. Rather, the focus of the story is what comes next. Verse 22. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay, so the story of Rebecca's children does not begin at birth. It begins in the womb. It begins before birth. Um, and verse 21 tells us that the babies struggle within her. And this word for struggle is used to mean uh, oppressed or crushed or smashed. Um, it's not a gentle thing going on. It's, uh, whatever's happening within Rebecca, the anguish that she's experiencing is, is out of the norm, is what's being communicated here. Um, it's also indicative of the future relationship of the children inside of her. And she says, her response is interesting, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So my, that's what mine says, the ESV does anybody else have a different version than the ESV you can read? Andrew? What do you have? What does yours say? Oh, we're on, uh, we are on verse 22. If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So what, what Rebecca says. If it is so, why then am I this way? Okay, that's interesting. Kim? Oh, well then, yeah, that means it's added, yeah. If all is well, why am I like 
If all is well, why am I like this? That is very interesting. Okay, what version is that? New King James. All right, great. That's one I haven't heard yet, actually. Okay, any other version? We just got the NASB and New King James and ESV in here. All right. <laughs> well, um, the King James Version says, If it be so, why am I thus? Another version says, Then why me? The Net Bible says, If it's going to be this way, I'm not so sure I want to be pregnant. Um, so some, uh, some translations take uh, more interpretive freedom. Um, if you translate it very, very woodenly from the Hebrew, it, it's just, if so, why this I? Um, so what's, what's being communicated by Rebecca here? She's not comfortable, certainly. Certainly, certainly not comfortable. What else? Okay, it's, uh, she certainly didn't expect this, Right? Yeah, it's unusual, and it's not something. It's not what she expected, right? Because this is a she understands because she went to the Lord. So Isaac went to the Lord, and then she went to the Lord. Um, so it's both an act of faith going to the Lord um, in a response to a problem that they're having, and she, but they they understand that these children are something that the Lord has given to them. And so she's, un- she's, she's in pain and she's struggling. Why? Not quite clear, but <clears throat> we would normally think she's asking, well, why are these kids fighting all the time or something like that? But she might be asking, why are there two of them? Why is there not just one? And that's not, not really common. It's not common, but the, the focus does seem to be on the struggle between the children. Yeah. But uh, you're right about that. It's, not, it's certainly not a common thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe she... Maybe she doesn't know there's twins. Maybe, but. You, uh, you. I think you're right about that. I don't think a kid would have done that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's, it's a the children are a blessing from the Lord, and yet there's pain and struggle within her. Yeah, and that's what. Yeah, right. And so that seems to be the the, the thoughts that she's having, what she's trying to communicate. This uh, this combination of perplexity and, and anguish, right? It's 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 both. If the Lord gave me these children, why is it like this? If I'm where do you get the if I'm okay from? King James, if it be so. If it be so. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, she she's. Well, she's certainly not okay. Um, that's why she's approaching the Lord, right? Um, so if it's right, and so if it seems to go along the lines of what we're talking about. If if uh, the Lord has given this to me, and if things are supposed to be okay, then then why is it like this? Um, so an interesting thought that she's having. So she inquires of the Lord. Okay, so she goes to the Lord. Um, let me see where I am here. Yes. Yes. That would be kind of startling. 
So, and the Lord said to her, where, where else, where else uh, does, um, where else in Genesis has the Lord responded to a distraught woman in pain? Where else has this happened before this? I'm not, I'm not thinking specifically of Sarah, but I would, you can include Sarah certainly. Which other woman? There's <laughs> the. What do you say? No. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Any sudden movements, I take as an answer. So, <laughs> huh? Hagar. Yeah, that's right, Hagar. Um, so the Lord responds to these women who are in pain and anguish. Um, and here we hear, see the Lord's response in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Okay, so we have this kind of poetic form, these couplets. Um, so four lines, and each couplet goes together. Um, and we get, learn a lot from, these, um, from this poem. So we have this oracle from the Lord, similar to, uh, to the oracle that uh, Noah gave. Um, in the sense, it's about one thing that occurred that is going to affect future generations. So two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. Okay, so for the first thing that we learn is that her sons, the two sons within her, are going to be the beginning of two nations. Okay, that's, that's the first thing. So like Ishmael's sons as well, um, Keturah's as well, the children who are in the womb are going to be not not just going to be them, but they're going to produce um, two nations and two peoples. And the two peoples from within you shall be divided; they shall be separated. Um, Abraham and Lot were separated. Why did they have to be separated? Abraham and Lot. Why did they have to go separate ways? No, remember. No, 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 Abraham and Lot. Yeah, that's right. Huh? So many herds. There was conflict between um, the herdsmen and the, the two peoples that they had. They were too big, and so there was a conflict, and the resolution of that conflict was for them to be separate. And the same happened with uh, Isaac and Ishmael, right? Or I guess I should say uh, Sarah and Hagar, or Sarah and Ishmael, right? There's a conflict between those two, and the resolution for that conflict was for Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael off. And so there is, there are two people within Rebekah now, and they are going to have to be separated. There's going to be a conflict that is going to cause them to be separate. But the idea also is here that it's, all, it's almost beginning in the womb, this kind of their desire to be separate is beginning in the womb. And so you see the, the reason for the pain and the struggle. Um, but this is also indicative not just of Esau and Jacob, but of the two nations that are come far, far in the future from these two fathers. Okay, So this is what I might call like a double prophecy. It prophesies what's going to happen to Esau and Jacob, but it's also prophesying what's going to happen uh, between the two nations that um, they become in the future. I think you see that kind of thing a lot in the scriptures. So the next two lines. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay. So the second couplet 
I think we give ancient readers a surprise. All right, one's going to be stronger than the other. Isn't the surprise that's assumed? What the surprise is is that it's going to be the younger that is stronger than the older, and the younger is going to be served by the older. Um, we see this in Noah's oracle when he talks about Ham and Shem and the curse on the Canaanites and how they will serve Shem, um, assuming Shem is younger. Kind of a similar thing there. But overall, the um, societal structures of the day, would everything would be given to the eldest son. So for the Lord to say that the younger is going to be the stronger one, and it's the one that's going to be served. The Lord is um, proclaiming something that's going to be out of the norm of the ancient societal structures that are in place. All right? Um, the Lord is not bound by those, uh, those things that are in place, those family structures. And so he's saying it's going to be the younger. Now, why is it going to be the younger rather than the older? Just to be different. <laughs> I like that. Just to be different. That's good. Um, yeah, well, there's not, there's not a reason given, is there? It's just the, the, the Lord chose it to be this way. And he, he can do that. He has the authority to do that. It seems that he does that more often than not. Okay, it seems that he does that more often than not. Okay. He doesn't do things the way that we expect them to be done. Oh, is, yeah. So, yes, yes. So he, he, um, he elected um, Jacob to be the one who continues the promise of Abraham. Yeah, that's, just, that's his purpose. That's his choice was for the younger. Um, just because Esau is born first. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but that's not the reason given why here, right? No. No. Right, though. But yes, um, it does appear that we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's get to that. Um, so, uh, good. So this is the primary focus of this little passage. Okay, there's two stories here. So verses uh, 1 through um, 20, not 19 through 23, we have the story of the two children in the oracle. There's, and then the second story is going to be about the selling of the birthright. Um, but the primary focus of this passage here is this oracle, um, giving the current readers an understanding of why their close relatives, the Edomites, and themselves um, are going to be in such great conflict, and the history that they can trace back to these two brothers. All right, let's continue on. Verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. No surprise to us, right? We knew that was going to happen. Not Maybe not twins. Well, yes, twins. All right. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Okay, so the first thing I want to address is you see that little bit of information that kind of just sneaks in the end there is that the time between her, they, when they find out about her barrenness and when the children are born is 20 years. That's how long Isaac um, waits 
for the Lord to fulfill his promise uh, to him. Similar kind of thing to Abraham. There's this patience that Abraham and Isaac have to wait faithfully upon the Lord, except Abraham, except Isaac and Rebekah don't go the route that Abraham and Sarah went, right? And so there's not much more complications within the story, more than uh, what we're already going to have. Um, Isaac and Rebekah, they wait for the Lord, and then they entreat him, and he answers them. Okay, so they have twins. It's been 20 years. So Isaac is 60 when they're born. Um, how old is Abraham? 160. There we go. Just keeping track. Just, help, just doing math sometimes helps uh, keep us awake. All right. Um, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And that's just a wonderful description here. Hairy cloak, a hairy mantle, um, almost like a little... A little animal is what it seems like, how hairy he is. Um, we know later on he's got to be really hairy if uh, Isaac is going to imitate him and try to deceive his father. And, it, and the only way he can do that is by wearing, what is it, a goat's skin or something like I mean, how hairy does Esau have to be, right? He's got to be a hairy guy. So he is very hairy. He comes out red. That word for red is Adam, Adam. Um, and that's important later on, okay, that red is a theme with Esau and his descendants. All his body like a hairy cloak, like a hairy mantle. So they call his name Esau. And so we get the, we get the origin stories of Esau and his name. Um, the name Esau, uh, I was not able to find a clear understanding of what the name Esau means. Um, seems to be not a conclusion on that. It sounds, apparently has the same sounds as Harry, Sayer. Um, and so maybe there's something there. Um, but I don't know, I wasn't able to find much more than that. So it's not quite as clear why they named Esau as to why they named Jacob, Jacob. Um, but Esau is red, he's hairy, they call him Esau. Um, afterward, his brother came out, his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Okay, so heel, the word for heel is Akeb, and of course, Yaqeb, Jacob, you can see why they named him Jacob. Now, the name Jacob originally probably had a positive meaning, okay? So we know Jacob's name uh, to have a pun on the word for deceitful or crooked, Akab, okay, and so Esau creates a pun out of that later on. But that's his parents wouldn't have named him Yaqeb, um, meaning deceitful or crooked, right? They wouldn't have given him such a kind of a mean name right in the beginning. It probably meant something a little more positive, such as uh, I have here, may God protect, referring to possibly someone following at the heels of an army as like a rear guard. Um, so may God protect. So, um, But that's where Jacob gets his name from, and it'll be turned into a pun later on by Esau. Okay, so those are the origins of their names. And um, interesting to me, we have a description of Esau using adjectives and nouns, and the description of Jacob Jacob is uh, is just an action, what he's doing. He's just holding on to his brother's heel. (laughs) They're both not red and hairy, right, right. That's a, that's a good point. There you go. They're not identical. As the picture I gave you kind of 
kind of paints that that way too. I chose now if you have the handout, I chose this painting because this is the this is the hairiest Esau I could find. All the other paintings, some of them were very smooth, like a like a baby. I mean, it's just it, I was just I was surprised at how many of them did not paint Esau as a hairy man. Okay, because he's supposed to be super hairy, and this is the hairiest one I could find. So, anyways, let's go to verse twenty-seven. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, so you see a little parental favoritism there, preference. Um, and that always ends up poorly. It's never a good thing when it happens in Scripture. Um, the boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, um, Anybody remember who else has been described as a hunter or an archer um, in their descriptions? Nimrod? Good. Yeah, Nimrod was one. He was the um, progenitor of the Assyrian nation, and he was described as a skilled archer. Who else? Someone a little more recent. Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood was based off Nimrod, sure. Uh, uh, Ishmael. Ishmael was described as a skilled archer as well. And it's a, it never seems to be like a, like a, I don't know, it never seems to be associated with, in a positive, like, you know, someone who's like, oh, Abraham was an archer. It's never, it's never someone like that. Um, so Esau is a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Um, a lot is made of, uh, is drawn out from these description of Jacob. And for me, as I study, I have a difficult time understanding exactly what is meant by quiet man dwelling in tents. I think we can have a general idea. Um, but the word for quiet man is the word tom, and it's usually used to mean blameless or perfect or maybe sinless, uh, which we know that is not what uh, they're trying to communicate with Jacob. Um, And so what does Tom mean here? Um, Another word for Tom is complete. Uh, Maybe that is the description that they're trying to have of Jacob as other... than just having this one characteristic that defines him as a skillful hunter, someone out in the field. He is more of a complete characteristic, maybe someone who is, maybe he's physically gifted, but maybe he is more contemplative as well. Um, So complete could be it, but if you look at your translations, this is how they describe, this is how they translate, quiet, even-tempered, peaceful, content. Um, And then dwelling in tents in Genesis 4.20, if you want to look back, as that phrase being used again, that describes a man named Jabal, a man who, who's the first to dwell in tents. He was the first to um, use and um, raise livestock. So maybe it's indicative of a cleverness or ingenuity within Jacob, as Jabal had with the tents and the livestock. Um, so maybe that's what that's pointing to. I'm not um, exactly sure, though. Uh, what we can gather from this is a contrast. Um, one man is a hunter. He likes being out in the field. Another man likes to dwell in tents, and maybe he's more contemplative. Um, but there, the, what is being communicated here is it's clear these two men couldn't be any more different from one another 
as far as their personalities go. They're very different people, and the potential for conflict that was already there because of the favoritism being shown by the parents is only exasperated more by their personalities that are being described here. All right? Let's go on to verse 29. Once, okay, so we have a story. Once upon a time. Not really once upon a time. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. Okay, so now we're finally getting to the first narrative, and it's been noted many times that Jacob, not here, but just in general when it's talked about the story, um, Jacob just happens to be cooking stew when Esau is coming back from an exhausting uh, hunting trip where he's exhausted and he's hungry. Uh, The word famished is a good word. I think some translations use. Um, I think Jacob would have known his brother and his habits well by this point. I don't think this is coincidental. Okay, The language being used seemed to indicate that this is an intentional thing, uh, this meeting. Did I? Yes, I did. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Thanks, Ken. Um, I did pass over it. So we talked a little bit, we talked about the favoritism a little bit, but Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Um, there's going to be some irony there because of uh, what's going to about, about to happen with Esau and selling his birthright. Um, but it also is it's interesting. The reason that Isaac prefers Esau is purely um, kind of because of the immediate gratification that he can bring him uh, because he's a gourmand almost, right? Um, but Rebecca loves Jacob, and we don't get the reason as to why Rebecca loves Jacob. Um, Ken, did you have something else you wanted to add to that, or you just noticed I, I skipped it? I do have a note. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. When when preference is given like this, it's never a, a good thing, right? It's it's usually it's usually problematic. I mean, we'll see that with Jacob and his sons. Um, so it's usually it's usually problematic. Um, dysfunctional is a good word. Yeah. Yeah, he sells a lot of arrows left. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. Some people have some some of the commentators I read brought up that point too. It's just he if he's a skilled hunter, he seems to be kind of at least having an off day today. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Is this a kind of fulfilling of that? Foreshadowing. That's a that's an interesting thought. It could be, yeah. Of the younger serving the older, or I'm sorry, the older being kind of on the dependency of the younger. Sure, sure. Um, that's an interesting thought. Uh, well, um, okay. So Jacob was cooking stew. So what I was going to say um, is the Hebrew word for stew is zid, and then the the Hebrew word for hunter it's zayid. And so you see this kind of similar sounding words. There's this zid that he that's going to be given to the zayid. All right, and so it seems like the zid is 
um, intentionally being prepared for the Zayed. It seems like what Jacob is doing is an intentional thing. Um, in verse 30, And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Um, now my translation, uh, it doesn't give us, I feel like, the, a real the, the kind of exhaustion and clumsiness of his words. Um, I think the one I gave you on your handout, it says, Feed me some of the red stuff. Yes, this red stuff, because I am starving. And really, it just the word for red is ha-amad, ha-amad. He says that twice. So give me some of that red red, right? That's why he's just pointing to it. I want that red. Um, that's the, this panting, exhausted, kind of clumsily, can't be eloquent. Um, and he is panting for the red stuff from Jacob. Cabbage. Maybe. I don't know if he would want it as much if it was cabbage. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what did you say? Red cabbage. Red cabbage. Maybe uh, his beets. Maybe his beets. It's red lentils. That's what it says, lentils. Red lentils? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Mine, mine doesn't have lentils. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Um, some say lentils. It could be that. I didn't go into that. But uh, feed me some of this red stuff. And the word for feed is an interesting word that we see in the rabbis use it as a uh, kind of force feeding, a cramming food down an animal's throat is the way that the word is used. Um, and so some translations say, uh, let me gulp down some of that red red. You know, So that's, that's kind of the language you're getting from Esau here. Um, and so therefore, his name was called Edom. And so you can see the connection between Edom and the word for red. All right, so the Edomites, the red ones, it's supposed to, anytime we hear the name, it's supposed to bring us back to the story of the way Esau treated his birthright and why and what he was willing to sell his birthright for, um, the red red. All right, verse 31. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And in this, uh, in this handout, what I tried to do was, obviously the red stuff, every, every time the red comes up, I made it red. Um, but birthright... Whenever Jacob is referring to the birthright, I colored in kind of this gold highlight um, because he wants it. In Esau, whenever the birthright is being used by Esau, it's crossed out there because he, has, uh, he doesn't seem to have value for it. Um, Jacob really wants it. Esau does not seem to value it as much. So he says, sell me your birthright now. Um, okay, what is a birthright? A birthright seems to refer to special privileges that belong to the firstborn male child in a family. We get specific laws for it later on. Um, And prominent among those privileges was a double portion of the estate as inheritance. Okay, so when it says that he gets a double inheritance, if there's two children, he'll divide, the father will divide it into three. And so the firstborn will get um, two portions of the inheritance and the secondborn will get one portion. Um, and so that is, or if there were three sons, the estate would be divided in four portions, and the oldest would receive um, a double portion. So the oldest son also normally received the father's major blessing. And in this case, we know that would be a, um, a blessing of the continuation of the promise of God. Um, and that was uh, passed down to Isaac. Now, 
the birthright and the blessing and all that can get a little complicated, but we'll get to talk about it more in chapter 27 about what they are, and we'll see uh, um, more specifically what they are in that chapter. But the birthright here is the, um, the things that would belong normally to the firstborn son. So the inheritance, the honor, the authority as the representative of the family uh, to continue on the important traditions and blessings of that family. And of course, the most important thing to Abraham was the promises of Yahweh then that they would continue to be passed down his line. All right, verses 32 to 34. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We talked about this a little bit. What does it mean that Esau despised his birthright? Just from the story. Place no value. Okay, he placed no value in it. He saw the value. At, like he weighed the lentil stew that was before him, and the birthright and the lentil stew was uh, just a little bit more valuable, right? Um, I think we can see from the text, when he says, I'm about to die, what use is the birthright of me, for me? It's, it's, he's not literally about to die. Um, it's, it seems to be hyperbole because he, when he gets the food, he eats. You see that quick, um, the terse language that is used. He gets the bread, lentil stew, he eats, he drinks, he rises, and he goes on his way. Okay. That, that painting that they use, it seems like he should be down on his knees begging or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really hairy in the painting, so he's got that going. Um, good. So, yeah, that's right. So when he despised his birthright, he placed no value on it. And if the birthright um, also included the promised blessings of Yahweh, what does that say about what he thought of those, if he was willing to sell them? What do you say? No value? So that's, that seems to be the options. Either he didn't completely understand the significance of the birthright, or he uh, didn't think about it. Yeah. Sure, sure. He's just out hunting all the time. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't get that wisdom of the community. That could be it. Um, he does have seem to have a some sort of capacity of understanding of the blessing that his father is supposed to give him in chapter twenty seven. That he is uh, distraught when he doesn't get it. Um, so he he does he seems to have some understanding of the birthright, but his uh, his instant gratification is is much more important. All right. Okay. Well, so Esau sells his birthright. We see the beginning of the two nations, Israel and Edom, and how the conflict between the two began with this act of deception. Um, okay. 
Not related, but does anybody know, there's a, there's a book of the Bible that's addressed specifically to the Edomites. Does anybody know which book of the Bible that is? A minor prophet? Starts with an O. <laughs> Obadiah. Yeah, that's right. Obadiah is specifically about the Edomites and uh, their relationship with Israel. And God really cares about how these brothers treat one another. It's a big deal in that book. So anyways, i got to end. Let me end with some reflections here. First, um, the first one I noted from the first story, from this passage, the Lord's plans and purposes are not restricted by our expectations or our, our societal structures. So the Lord chose Jacob to be the designated heir of Abraham's blessing, even though the norm for that time was for the blessing to be passed down to the oldest son. Um, and he doesn't do it because of any quality in Jacob or any lack of quality in Esau. He does it because that's how he chose to do it. And he's not bound by the restrictions that are set. And it makes me, of course, think of the Messiah. I think of Christ. Because the expectation for the Messiah was that he would come in and he would be a king and he would be a ruler. And he would get Israel out from underneath the thumb of Rome and Herodias and Herod and all those people who were oppressing them, and they would be able to conquer Rome. And that's what the Messiah would be, this militaristic power. But instead, Jesus comes uh, not like that. He comes as a baby to a poor couple, to a virgin. Um, And he didn't rule with an iron fist or overthrow Rome, but he suffered and he died for the sins of the world. Um, so God is not restricted to act by our expectations of how, uh, he, how we think he should do things. And secondly, from Jacob and Esau's story, I think uh, we saw the warning that is concerning uh, Esau, how he despised something of immeasurable worth for the sake of immediate gratification. So certainly there is a lesson in there for us. What do we value? What do we prioritize? Are we thinking about things that last? Do we even think about spiritual things? Um, things that matter um, eternally. Uh, things of real value. Or our minds, or our minds, are our minds only focused on the things that can satisfy us here and now? So, something to think about. Let's, uh, let's end in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word again, that we can hear from your word, that we can understand you and how you do things, Lord. Um, And Lord, we certainly relate to Rebecca's question of, Lord, if this is a blessing from you, then why is this so painful? Lord, if this was your plan, why is this so painful? And Lord, uh, it's, it's something that we struggle with, God, knowing that You are good and mighty, and you have a plan for the world to redeem the world. And that plan includes suffering. Suffering for those who love you and uh, obey you um, as well, Lord. And that's something that we should expect. But God, uh, your word reminds us, and the gospel reminds us, Lord, that even though there is suffering, that you are good, and that um, you have provided for us, and that what all comes to fruition, that we will understand your plans, Lord, and understand your goodness towards us. Because we only see a part of the picture now. We don't see 
We don't see the entire big picture. And so, Lord, help us, God, during our times of suffering, to do what Rebecca did, to, to, to turn to you, to turn to you for understanding and to pray and lift things up to you. Um, we thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau. And, God, we do pray that you would help us to be concerned of the things that really matter, to not just forget about the spiritual things, to not forget about um, growing in Christ, about um, sharing your gospel, about caring for the needy, about all these things, Lord. And, Lord, we pray that you would uh, work that kind of heart in each one of us, the the kind of heart that cares about the things that you care about and not about just immediately gratifying our physical needs and desires, even though um, that's important. God, we love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.